love and abounding in steadfast love. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. uh, There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it, but found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Please be seated. All right, now, the person who wrote the tune for that hymn was from Magdeburg in Germany. Okay. Sorry, I thought I was getting hand signs from the back. All right. I dare you to Google the Magdeburg Confession... And check out the website. I dare you. All right. So we begin with our sermon for this week. Uh, Once again, it's very, it's very Lenten. Jesus wants us to repent of our sins and believe in him. Who would have thought, yeah? But... I'm going to hold your hand as we do it. Don't let me to, uh, forget to return to the Old Testament. I always have a printout of the readings, double-spaced, all on one page. And um, I'll be uh, looking at those as we're going. But crazy gospel reading today. It's got two different you know, genres of writing. It's got your usual scriptural narrative text, even though Jesus himself is like commenting on two different things that happened in the past. And then all of a sudden it switches into a parable and one of the most underrated parables of all time. Uh, But before we talk about that, I want to comment 
that it seems like everything today is political. All right? Everything's political. Everyone is looking for a hot political take. Um, and even if someone tries to start something where they're not, they're trying to combat, ironically combat, um, uh, only, you know, commenting on the news as it's happening, they usually get there because they find that it gets the most clicks, the most likes, and the most Patreon subscribers. Um, everyone wants a talking head to tell them what to think about the latest trend in the news. And um, it's never uh, what the scholars call talking head Jesus from the Gospel of John because he talks so much in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's always a talking head on a TV or screen. And let me tell you that our gospel reading today gives us the gospel promise and security that this has been going on forever. They do it today, and they did it in Jesus' day. And I can point to you some Old Testament stuff where people, I don't know, 6,000 years ago were doing the same thing. People want someone they look to to give them a hot take on what's happening in the news. And so these people came to Jesus, and imagine if you could ask Jesus a question, right? You probably, like, say you got one question to ask Jesus, right? Think about that in your head. And now here's Jesus. He's standing in a grassy knoll, and he looks at you, and he's like, ask me a question. And then you open your mouth and you say, what's your hot take on the latest thing that happened in the news? See, that sounds goofy to you, but that's what the, peop- that's what the people did in this, this story, right? This was their shot to ask Jesus anything. And they asked them about those Galileans. Now, um, to give you some context, because this is very confusing, because we don't know about those Galileans. Uh, though the people that read Luke or heard it for the first time did. Uh, There are these Galilean Jews, and they were making sacrifices in public, uh, as they're called to, just like how we worship in public. It's never been more public than when we broadcast on the computer. But um, they're making sacrifices publicly, these Galilean Jews. And Pontius Pilate, for whatever reason, we don't know the context, he orders them to be killed while they're making those sacrifices. So they die, and obviously in a bloody way, probably stabbed with spears or swords. Uh, Maybe their heads were cut off. And their blood trickled into those sacrifices that they were making. And so everyone and their mother was talking about it at the dinner table, at school, at work, saying, was that sinful of them? Because they know, according to the the Jewish laws, that if they mix blood with the sacrificial blood, then that is a terrible uh, offense to God. And then other people, of course, were saying, no, it's Pontius Pilate's fault, and he will be held accountable for this blood mixing with the sacrifice. And now we're looking back at it 2,000 years later, and we're like, this is all crazy, But I'm sure in 2,000 years, people will be looking back at our political discussions at the table and our hot takes and being like, man, I can't believe they thought that was important. 
And I can't believe they did those things to each other and said those things about each other. And so Jesus has to remind them he probably rolled his eyes. uh, And he implied, uh, or he, he guessed that they were implying that these people shared in what was, or they shared fault in what was coming to them. Uh, And so Jesus has to tell them, no, it's not because there were sinners that they were killed by Pontius Pilate and their blood mixed with their sacrifice they're making. But he says, before we depart from the subject so our time isn't wasted, remember that if you yourself, listening to me, whether it's in 2022 or in 29 AD, when he first said it to a crowd of people, take this as a warning. Look at weird things, bad things happening in your world as a warning. You could die at any time, even if you're doing what you think is right. Even if you're worshiping your Lord. And so repent, or you'll perish. And what's funny is, that thing on the, the, about the Galileans was hot at the time. But while he's at it, he says, okay, I'll also comment on what used to be big in the news cycle. Remember that tower that fell over in Siloam? Remember that tower that fell over and it killed 18 people? That one, we can distance ourselves from any fault, really, right? Because that was a tragedy. Simply a tower fell over and killed 18 people. Just a tragedy. Was it because those people were worse sinners than the other people that live in Jerusalem? No. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Though, Jesus says, before we depart and have wasted our time, remember that that event should lead you to stop and think about your life. When you see tragedy happen, uh, you know, um, like recently we had a a very, like a, a younger person die in the community. And there were many people at his wake. And I think what it did was it reminded everyone that dying isn't only for people that are in their, you know, their 90s. You could die early. You could die young and without explanation. And so that reminds us to stop and examine our lives and be constantly asking God for forgiveness and striving to do better, to be pleasing in his sight and the sight of all people. And so Jesus says, take these examples, one political, one just a pure tragedy, and apply my across-the-board answer for all these tragic events, all these news, these breaking news events from the last few years. Apply them to those. Things can happen like this because of sin and living In a corrupt, fallen world, yeah. Always remember that the devil is trying to torment us. And that's why we need to be equipped with every weapon that that gives us the forgiveness of sins and alleviates our consciences. Whether it be remembering our baptism, remember uh, reading the word, receiving the sacrament as often as we can, as often as we eat it, as often as we drink it. Receiving the absolution of sins, whether to your neighbor, from your neighbor, or from pastor. And always to remember that God is punishing sin, though we can never know for sure, it's him. 
That's part of the mystery. Yeah? All we can do, Jesus says, is repent and trust in him. But I would like to shift to the, what I believe is one of the most beautiful parables in the scriptures. And before we shift to that, I want to remind you that God is not chasing you around trying to catch you doing things wrong. That's not what he does. In fact, what he says is in the Old Testament, he says, say to them, so he's given instructions to me to tell you guys, remind you of this, say to them, as I live, declares God, declares Yahweh, who is Jesus Christ, I have no pleasure, I do not take pleasure in the death of wicked people. God isn't happy when bad things happen, even to bad people. He says instead, but I take pleasure in the wicked turning from that way and living. And so therefore, turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why must you die? Ask God. And this should bring to mind Jesus talking about the parable of the lost sheep, yeah? He leaves the 99 that are walking in the way just to get the one. Because he, remember, when he finds the one lost sheep, he puts it around his shoulders and joyfully returns. He's glad over winning one lost soul. But boy, is it prevalent that we talk about this parable, the parable of this fig tree. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if y'all like have uh, focused on this one in Sunday school or anything or adult Bible study or whatever, your own personal reading. But Jesus takes this problem that's presented to him, this problem of why do bad things happen to anyone? Whether it be good people or bad people or, I don't know, neutral people. Do we have those anymore? Um, He tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it, but he didn't find any. Do you remember way back in Advent, maybe in Epiphany, John the Baptist is preaching And what is he preaching? He's preaching, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we know the the fruit of the Spirit, right? Or at least we probably have it like depicted in art on our wall from like Hobby Lobby or something. Fruit of the Spirit. All right. So patience, kindness, all those. Those are fruits in keeping with repentance. But God, who planted this tree, which is the people Israel, and is now the Christian church that you're sitting in, he comes to his tree that he planted and watered all these years with his word. And he sees that instead of being this lovely tree bearing beautiful figs, uh, which, by the way, got to pick your figs or else disgusting huge birds will come and eat them. Uh, It's uh, actually quite shocking. Um, 
instead of being fruit-bearing people, they were instead what John the Baptist called brood, a brood of vipers. So instead of being sons of Abraham, they were sons of poisonous snakes, filling people's heads with poisonous ideas like you can earn your way into heaven. But they fully expected to be grandfathered in. Remember this? They thought just because they've been paying $9.99 a month for eight gigabytes of you know, wireless data, they can keep paying $9.99 a month just because they paid $9.99 in 2005. No. God isn't happy that the tree that he planted was not bearing fruit. It wasn't being gracious. It wasn't being faithful. It wasn't being loving. It wasn't caring for the lowly. That's for sure. And so he says to the vine dresser, which I'm going to give you the permission to just allow and picture in your head is Jesus Christ. So if the guy who owns the, the, the tree is God the Father, the vine dresser is Jesus Christ. And the vine dresser tells his father, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. So please cut it down. It's using up my precious ground space. I could plant another tree and it will make fruit and be profitable to me. And now try and think in your head, well, Jesus has been doing about three years of ministry by now. Where is the fruit? God's wrath and anger are burning against his people because he expected one thing and is getting another. His wrath and anger, they still burn against us. He burn, it burns against those, of course, that think it's okay to maybe live in sin or to lie and get away with it, to hurt people. And so the vine dresser answers and says, Sir, please, let it go another year until I can do everything I can to make sure it yields fruit. I'm going to dig around it and make sure water can get to it. I'm going to put manure, so fertilizer on it, to make sure I've done everything I can to allow it to grow fruit. Let me fertilize them by feeding them my body and my blood. Let me dig in such a way that the waters of baptism can rush over their roots daily. Spare them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then he says, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, cut it down by all means. And so Jesus in this parable is giving you an image. An image of Jesus standing between the Father and us sinners. And in fact, he ends up being hung on a tree and dying for us with the fullness of God's wrath and his anger burning against him. But the father loves his son like no other father can, yet every father could begin to understand. The father waits to judge. The father withholds judgment for his son's sake. He gives him every opportunity to turn 
Even if he has addictive behaviors or destructive behaviors, he keeps forgiving him. And he keeps allowing him to come back home for Christ's sake. So one time in class at seminary with uh, Dr. Bruce Shuckard, um, it was it was in Revelation class. We were reading Revelation in Greek, and it was crazy. And we were in the thick of it, the thick of the scary stuff that all y'all think of when you think of Revelation. All the scary stuff that will happen in the end times, often called the tribulation. And so a classmate asks, Professor, if Jesus really loves us, then why doesn't he just come back now and spare everyone this? If he really loves us, why won't he just come and end it? Professor Shuckard paused, looked at him, scratched his beard, and said, So that you, so that your family, so that your friends, and so that your enemies have every chance to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the scriptural answer. But he went on, he said, so that your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, maybe even possibly their great-grandchildren, can be given new life. Be given the chance to be born. Be given the chance to be baptized and believe in and love Jesus Christ just like you do. The gospel of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ is for anyone and everyone. And part of that gospel is Jesus waiting every extra minute so that every second you have the chance to repent and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I want to do better. But Jesus, I trust in you. This gospel, it provides comfort and hope even when God's justice remains hidden. And when I say it remains hidden, is we still see a world full of sin, death, and suffering. And so we flee and hide in Jesus' incarnation, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. We hide in it. We take comfort and joy in it because we know it gives us eternal life. The forgiveness of sins is present alone in the risen one, Jesus Christ. And he remains present in this church, in the word and in these sacraments. That's where we encounter him. It's where he checks us for the fruit of our repentance. It's where he patiently waits And when your suffering meets the suffering of Jesus Christ, you'll have lots of opportunity over Lent to do this. Maybe when you come to a service and there's only a few people there, you might think in the ways of the world, oh, it wasn't worth it. There's not many people here. But what really is it other than an opportunity and chance for you to be alone in silence and think on the suffering of Jesus Christ? Because when you bring your suffering to Jesus' suffering, you begin to see in your suffering the comfort 
peace and redemption that is in Jesus Christ's suffering and eventual death and resurrection. Comfort, peace, and redemption from every pain of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.